Now, uh, we return to uh, our study of the book of Galatians. I know you're wondering, when are we going to read something from Galatians? And, and we're going to do that um, soon, very soon. Um, but as most of you know, uh, if you've been here, uh, what we're looking at now is just some of the, the theses, uh, and that's the word that, that I've assigned, uh, of Martin Luther's preface to his commentary on the book of Galatians. Um, uh, the preface, as I've told you, uh, has taken on somewhat of a life of its own. Um, so there's just some stuff in there. There's lots of things in there that I just skipped. But there are several things that I thought would be helpful in terms of um, understanding the, um, the, the, uh, the book once we got there. Now, um, the issue that we're going to look at tonight is the relationship between law and and grace. Um, that is the issue, ladies and gentlemen, that gave rise to the entire book. Um, I, um, if you don't know what I'm referring to, um, there was a situation that existed in Asia Minor um, where certain converted Jews, or at least ostensibly converted Jews, Uh, had come through that region and had communicated to the people of that region that they must be circumcised to be saved. Yes, you must believe in Jesus, but you must also be circumcised. Um, The title or the name of those people, or the the name that's been given to them, is that they were called Judaizers, J-U-D-A-I-Z-E, and you'll hear that a hundred times. Hearing that... Um, Paul launched into the authorship of this book that we're going to study. It was that event, that, that skirmish that was going on in the, the Galatian region that prompted Paul to sit down and write a book which was going to ultimately define the relationship between law and grace. Now, guys, when I say... Um, Law, oh, hot dog, um, I, am, I am persecuted for righteousness' sake, I think. Um, um, when I say law, um, I, I hope this doesn't confu- confuse you. When you use the term law works, what the Judaizers were, were adding was a work um, that was uh, dictated by law in addition to uh, the simple gospel of uh, trusting Christ alone. So uh, it, was, it was a relationship between law and grace, or law works. Um, l- let, me, let me show you uh, one of the places. This is one of the things that Paul... Um, Addresses in the book of Romans, in, um, in Romans chapter 3, if you can find that real fast, um, where he summarizes everything, I think, in, in one simple sentence. In Romans 3.28, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. That's what I mean by when I say law works. Works of the law. Um, specifically, The issue uh, in Galatia was the issue of circumcision. I think you know that, Uh, which is another word that you'll hear me use um, 
a uh, hundred times in the study of this book. Um, circumcision was being taught as a, as a necessary essential for one's salvation. And so Paul uh, was uh, prompted into action and thus writes this book um, known as Galatians. Last week we talked about not all righteousness is Christian righteousness. And I said to you then that... Um, um, that Christian righteousness is a righteousness by faith in Christ alone, a righteousness that is imputed to us. That's what I said to you last week. Um, if that is true, that is, if, if, um, if righteousness is based on faith in Christ, that, a righteousness that is imputed to you, then why would you seek to add anything to that righteousness. There is only one answer to that question. And that is, in some way, you have concluded that Christ's righteousness is not enough. Now, guys, um, I, I hope you can make this quick connection. Um, forget the first century Galatia. What is the issue in 21st century evangelicalism? You didn't make the jump, did you? What is the equivalent to the same thing that the Judaizers were saying in the first century? Yes, baptism. So if, you, if, if Christ's righteousness is imputed to you, and then you say, but you must then do this, then the only reason that you would say something like that is because that righteousness imputed to you, you deem as not enough. There's got to be something else. And that thing added in Galatians was circumcision. That thing that is often added today is baptism. And thus, we have a law work that is just as certainly being added to the righteousness of Christ now as circumcision was being added then. So ladies and gentlemen, if you do not understand the role of law, then you'll never understand the role, you'll never understand the gospel. You'll always be trying to tamper with it somehow. You'll always be trying to refine it, to upgrade it, to improve it. And the thing that you will use to improve it is some kind of law work. Work of the law. And anything, ladies and gentlemen, the question today is not a question about baptism. It's a question about the gospel. If you say that something is needed beyond the finished work of Christ then you have added a law work. And you have modified the gospel. 
That's what was happening in the first century, and Paul couldn't stand it. So he said, well, watch this. And he writes the book called Galatians. And I mean, some scenes in there are going to be fun to look at, and we've looked at them before, but um, because he is on, his hair's on fire, that someone would suggest that there was some kind of law work that need be added to the accomplishment of Christ. Now, that my way of introduction. Um, let's talk about the relationship between law or the role of law in the gospel, okay? Gang, um, in a very real sense, if you're a Christian, we live as Christians as if there were no law, as if there were no wrath. In a sense, and I'll explain, Law does not exist anymore for the Christian. Um, Because I belong to Christ, the law plays... I'm going to say this, but I'm going to come back and uh, uh, contradict myself. It plays no role. I'm I'm going to come back and contradict that, but... It plays, in, 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 a, in a very real sense, it plays no role. Now, that said, here's the role that it plays. It plays a role of being a guide for Christian living. But in terms of my redemption, in terms of my status, in terms of my standing, in terms of my rightness before God, it plays no role. Role. Now, gang, this is a. a, a, um, I I don't know why this is so confusing. Um, And I think I've even used these words before, but um, guys, law is necessary, but it is never meritorious. Law is necessary, but it is never redemptive. For instance, baptism is necessary, but it is not meritorious. Baptism is necessary, but it is in no way redemptive. Gang, I I don't know why we can't keep those things in distinction. It is a nesset law is necessary in terms of telling Christians how it is that they live a life that's pleasing to God. But there is no merit in their so doing. If you assign some merit to a law work, then you have once again assaulted, not baptism, you've assaulted the gospel. Because you have suggested that somehow Christ's merit was not enough. Now, gang, as Christians, or as at least Christian teachers, if, you, if you're going to uh, be someone who represents the gospel, guys, uh, you've got to keep the law within its borders. To the non-Christian, now guys, this is not hard. This is not, I promise. 
To the non-Christian, we preach law. Why? Why is it that we preach law to non-Christians? Well, what we're... What, and by the way, this is the message of the book of Galatians. We're preaching law so that men will come to see their failure, their failure to be righteous before God. Um, Paul calls it in the book of Galatians in chapter 3. We'll get there in a couple of years. Um, uh, he calls the law their tutor. Um, that is his argument in Romans chapter 7, if you will recall. You remember in Romans chapter 7, Paul said, I would not have known law, no, I would not have known sin if the law had not said, thou shalt not covet. So Paul looks at the law and he says, thou shalt not covet. Uh, you know, uh, uh, what do you covet with? Well, you covet with your, with your, the, your brain or your mind. And, and, um, and, and it wasn't hands or feet or, or eyes. It was something that went on internally. And so Paul said, the first time that I discovered that I had failed to be righteous before God was when the law said to me, thou shalt not covet. Once I heard that, I realized my attempt at saving myself has failed. That's why we preach law. It is, um, it is, it is a way to convince the unbeliever that what he's seeking to accomplish through his own devices has failed. Law is that, is that pinprick to say, you failed. Whatever it is that you think is going to save you, won't. Um, you come to the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And the world is full of gods, full of idols. Well, as a result of that law and your transgression, that means you not only have failed, but you stand guilty. So guys, the, the law is used as that, as that device by which we seek to convince the unconverted man that his attempts at a self-salvation project have failed. Now, so there is a very fine use of the law as we attempt to convince non-Christians. But once Jesus Christ has been embraced, the law is fulfilled for us by him his righteousness becomes ours. So we take the law and set it aside. Except as for a guide to a lifestyle that would be pleasant to this Father that we now have in heaven. It is now only our God. Um, obedience and works are necessary, but never meritorious. 
There is no merit assigned to any obedience of yours. If you take an obedience, any obedience, and you assign merit to it, you have turned it into a law work. And thus, you have misused the law. Now guys, let me, let me give it to you, and I hope that was somewhat clear. Let me give it to you in, 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 in theological circles. This is, how they, this is how they define it. That the law has three roles. The first role is pedagogical. Pedagogical. Uh, um, you know what pedagogy is, don't you? Uh, pedagogy is teaching. Um, the first role of the law is pedagogical. That is, it, it convinced, like I said, it was used for, it's used in non-Christians. In this sense, the law has, has no usage in the life of the believer. But it is used um, as a pedagogue. It's used as an instructor. It's used as a teacher to point out to a non-Christian that his project has failed. It has a pedagogical use. Okay? That's the first use of the law. But once you come to Christ, this usage, it, it, it has no more of this usage in the life of the Christian. Um, the second usage is called a civil use. A civil use of the law. That is, um, it inhibits wickedness by threatening judgment. For instance, um, you shouldn't kill anybody. (laughs) And the law inhibits, um, reduces the incidence of murder because it threatens punishment as associated with that act. The law has a civil use. But the third use, the the one that's called just the normal or moral use of the law. Um, That's the way that the law is used in the life of the believer. It becomes a guide. Guys, this is the entire argument of James in chapter 2 that causes people so much trouble. It shouldn't cause us any trouble, guys. The law has a legitimate use to a Christian. It becomes a guide for living that is an expression of affection for our Heavenly Father. But that law, that, that, that life lived according to moral law, has no merit associated with it. You can never... I mean, Guys, um, Christians are to obey God's law. Yes. But misunderstanding the role that it plays as a God has led the church into two opposite extremes of error. On the one end of the spectrum, you have legalism. I'm saying to you, ladies and gentlemen, if you say 
You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized. You are a legalist. In the worst possible sense of this term. You have taken a law work and you have assigned merit to it saying that it somehow completes a deficiency that is found in the altogether meritorious work of Jesus Christ. On the other end of the spectrum, the other error is, of course, the error of antinomianism. That basically means no law. That is error as well. Because of a failure to understand the, just the legitimate use of the law as a God. For the antinomian, um, he has no such guide. He is completely uh, divorced from any kind of influence that the law may have over him. What I would suggest to you is that this is a reaction to this. You know, a pendulum never swings from over here and stops in the middle. Reacting to a, leg, a legal gospel, certain folks said, no, there's no law. And thus we were cut adrift to live any old way we wanted to live. And the church has suffered greatly because she has not been instructed that the law gives us guidance as to what kind of life pleases God. Um, now, I, I, I want to say this just because some of you have come from Church of Christ backgrounds. If you take Acts 2.38, which is the text that that every person who has been trained in the Church of Christ knows exists. It says, repent and be baptized. If you understand that the conversion experience consists of embracing Jesus plus baptism, you have a new gospel on your hands. You have a different gospel. Just like Paul was addressing in Galatia. You will not, you won't dare add circumcision to the gospel. And Paul just takes their head off. But today, a little bit different item, but it's another law work. I'm saying to you, Acts 2.38, as used like that, listen, is an assault on the gospel. The Bible being used as an assault on the gospel. Can you believe that? Do you see, ladies and gentlemen, it's not a, it's not a question of whether you immerse or whether you pour. Or, that's, that's, not my, that's not the issue. It's the, it's the issue of um, what, what merit, if any, does baptism possess? If you assign merit to it, then you've subtracted merit from someplace else. And the only thing that can suffer is the finished work of Jesus Christ. So as teachers of the gospel, 
we've got to make sure that the law is kept within its boundaries. Does the law have a legitimate use? Of course it does. Actually, it has a couple of three. For the non-Christian, it is pedagogical. We preach law in the hopes that God the Holy Spirit will use the law to convict the unbeliever that his, that his attempt at saving himself has failed. No, you didn't live a life of non-coveting. No, you didn't live a life that never lied. You didn't live that life. And thus, if he's once convinced of that, then perhaps he might pursue um, a solution elsewhere outside of himself. Now, so it has a pedagogical, it has a civil use. It, it, uh, it inhibits uh, criminality, I guess. But it has a, a very distinct use for, for us believers. It does guide us as to how life should be lived uh, in honor of, um, of our Heavenly Father. Now, I want to close. I have seven minutes left. I want to close by reading you a part of what Luther said about this whole subject of, of uh, the role of the law. I mean, because it's just it's, uh, so rich and, and so well said and so much better said than what you've heard. But, but, but I hope you can get this. I hope you can understand this. I, it, I'm sure you can if I can read it well. He starts like this. He says, Oh, law! Exclamation point. <laughs> oh, law! You would climb up into the kingdom of my conscience and there reign and condemn me for sin and would take from me the joy of my heart which I have by faith in Christ and drive me to desperation that I might be without hope. <laughs> I mean, that's just the first sentence. But do you see that, ladies and gentlemen? He looks at law and he says... If improperly understood, you know what would happen to me? You would climb up into the kingdom of my conscience and you would there, in my conscience, reign. And while you're reigning, you will condemn me for my sin. And as a result of that condemnation, you would take from me all the joy of my heart which I have because I have faith in Christ, and you would drive me to desperation. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, apart from the gospel, the law will do that to you. No. Apart from grace and an understanding of grace, law will, wielded wrongly, will rob you of all joy will drive you to desperation. It will climb up into your conscience and reign. And it will reign by condemning you for your sin. You know what? You sinned today. How many times? (laughs) Fifty? We'll go to the law and and ask for sweet succor for for your aching conscience. You'll get none. You'll get condemned. He goes on. Oh, I love this. Um, oh, law, you would climb up and you would do all that and you would be without. And he says, you have overstepped your bounds. Know your place. That's what I'm trying to give you tonight, ladies and gentlemen. The boundaries. 
I'm trying to give your, your, your consciences enough information so that you can say to the devil when he uses the law to condemn you, know your place. You don't have that place in my life anymore. There is a sense, as I said as I opened, that Christians live as if there were no law and certainly no wrath. So we say to the law, you have overstepped your bounds. <laughs> Get in your place. You're nothing more than a guide to me. You are not my righteousness. It is not meritorious that I obey you. You cannot condemn me. I shan't be condemned. He says, he goes on, you are a guide for my behavior. Yes, but you are not Savior and Lord of my heart. No. But I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, if you take baptism and you add it to the finished work of Jesus Christ, then you tell me this. Who is your Savior? Who? Tell me, Andy. Andrew. Yourself. I mean, if you tamper with this finished work of Christ and add on to it something that you've done, ladies and gentlemen, hmm, law <laughs> and my obedience of you, <laughs> you are my Savior and Lord. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, I don't give a flip how you baptize, but don't you dare. Don't you dare try to tack it on as an add-on to the gospel. Um, through the gospel, I am called to receive righteousness and eternal life. Listen. So trouble me not. <laughs> Can you do that? Can you say to the law, leave me alone? I know I violated you. But my righteousness has nothing to do with my obedience of you. My righteousness is something imputed to me. By the finished work of... i got to go on. i got two minutes now. Um, for I will not allow you so intolerable a tyrant and tormentor to reign in my heart and conscience. I'm not going to allow it. I'm not going to allow you to condemn me. Oh, you condemned me all right. And, and I felt the condemnation. But that was back before I met the Savior. And now having met him, you can't condemn me anymore. Um... I will not allow you, so intolerable a tyrant and tormentor, to reign in my heart and conscience. For they, that is my heart and my conscience, are the seat and temple of Christ the Son of God, who is the King of righteousness and peace, and my most sweet Savior and mediator. He, not it, he shall keep my conscience joyful 
and quiet in the sound of in the sound and pure doctrine of the gospel through the knowledge of this passive and heavenly righteousness. I, I said, remember last week, that righteousness was passive? I'm going to read that last sentence and then we'll quit. He shall keep my conscience joyful and quiet in the sound and pure doctrine of the gospel through the knowledge of this passive and heavenly righteousness. That passive and heavenly righteousness imputed to me, that's what's going to keep my conscience joyful and quiet as I rehearse the sound and pure doctrine of the gospel. But before you ever understand that gospel, ladies and gentlemen, you must know the boundaries within which the law is to operate and never let it outside of those boundaries. Because it'll drive you crazy. In fact, you know, guys, here's what we do. We put our heads on our pillows at night and we rehearse our performance. How did I do today? Well, I was nice to my husband and, and, uh, and I, was, I, had, you know, I was sweet to my wife and, and I didn't yell at the kids and, and I didn't get a speeding ticket. And, um, and I, I closed that deal at the office and, um, and you know, I really, I really performed well today. The problem with that is, tomorrow, you do get the speeding ticket. And you do yell at your kids. Now what do you say? Now your performance is going to torment you. No, no. No, no. Um, Law, you have overstepped your bounds. Know your place. My conscience is... In my conscience reigns uh, Christ the Son of God. And my conscience remains joyful and quiet in the sound and pure doctrine of the gospel. That, ladies and gentlemen, is is worth uh, sharing with somebody else. Let's quit. Lord Jesus, I I thank you for the privilege that is mine to try and make sure that the law never torments your people unnecessarily. Father, if you have brought people here tonight who have not yet met Jesus Christ, would you use that very law to torment them, to torment them to the place where they will give up on their self-salvation project and find rest and peace in Christ, in Christ alone, in his finished work.